amazing. You guys can grab a seat. Well, welcome, friends. Good to be with you. My name is Brett. I'm a pastor on staff here. If we haven't met, great to meet you. Uh, The first time that I stepped foot into New Zealand was a complete shock. I had gotten on a plane in the middle of an Illinois winter, and I was stepping off of the plane into what can best be described as paradise. I had gone from bare tree branches to green gardens. I had gone from uh, dull and gray to delightful and gorgeous. I had gone from flat, wide-open, snow-covered cornfields to beaches and mountains and untouched forests. If you know anything about me or my story, I spent some time in the country of New Zealand as a worship leader at a church plant there. And let me tell you what, that was a life-changing experience. Before I left for New Zealand, I was a shoe salesman. So not only was I moving from a complete, like moving to a completely other part of the world, brand new part of the world that I'd never been to before, I was also moving into a completely new line of work surrounded by brand new people that I had never met before. It became really, really clear to me as I stepped off of the plane that morning that everything in my life had changed. The old way of life was behind me. It was gone. And a new life had begun. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning. If you don't have your Bible, would you open your phone to Luke chapter 5? We're going to be starting in verse 33. We're going to see today in our passage in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus calls us to move out of the old and to step into the new. It's out with the old and in with the new. He takes moralistic duty and changes it to joy. He takes a broken religion that keeps us far from God, and he invites us into a relationship that brings us close enough to God to hear his heartbeat. He takes us out of the prison of what's merely familiar in our lives, and he invites us to step out into the wide open spaces of a vibrant, risk-filled faith. What we're going to learn from Jesus here in Luke chapter 5 matters because so many of us, myself included, wake up every day and we fail to move from what's old and step into what's new. We settle for Nebraska nice rather than Jesus' joy. We revert to thinking we need to earn God's love or at least do enough to make him like us rather than believing that it's all already abundantly ours because of what Jesus has done for us. We choose what's familiar instead of stepping out in faith. And Jesus says to us very clearly that this way of life, this way of thinking is incompatible with a relationship with him. It's out with the old and in with the new. So let's look at our first chunk of Scripture, verses 33 through 35. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. 
So the first thing we see in our passage is from fasting to feasting. From fasting to feasting. Uh, back when I was in high school, I was a swimmer. Uh, so I spent half my year, two seasons out of the year, uh, going to swim meets and at swim practices. And if you've ever swam before, or maybe you've just spent a day at the beach or a day at the lake, um, you know like how hungry you get after swimming. So I would come home from swim practices half the year, and I would just prepare for myself an absolute feast. I would open up the fridge doors and grab whatever mom had made. Like whatever leftovers were there, I was eating it. Then I'd make myself a sandwich. Then sometimes I'd cook myself a couple eggs. Then if I was still hungry, I grew up in a small town, I'd go to Casey's and grab a slice of pizza and maybe some snacks. Most of us in the room know what it's like to feast. We have whole holidays devoted to feasting. But I'm willing to bet that most of us probably don't know what it's like to fast. Our passage today starts with a conversation around fasting. And if I could describe what the biblical example of fasting is, uh, really simply, this is what I would say. Biblical fasting is when we give up eating for a period of time in order to connect with God. Biblical fasting is when we give up eating for a period of time in order to connect with God. When we fast, we're physically taking on a posture of longing for God. So as our bodies long for food, our souls long for God. I want you to look at verse 35 with me really quick. These are the words of Jesus. He says, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying now that he's returned to heaven, now that he's no longer physically on earth with us, fasting is expected. It's assumed of his followers. So fasting is something that's expected for us, from us, as followers of Jesus. And it was certainly a common expectation for any devoted follower of God in Jesus' time. So with this knowledge of fasting, let's set the scene together. Here in Luke 5, we find Jesus at a dinner party, and he's confronted about the way his disciples don't fast. Remember, fasting would have been an expectation of any devoted follower of God at the time. Also remember that Jesus is hanging out here with sinners, with tax collectors. Pastor Ethan let us know last week that these people would have been known in their communities as religious outsiders, as people on the bottom of the social and religious totem pole. They would have been despised, rejected, outcasts. These are the people that Jesus is hanging out with. In verse 29, earlier in the text, it tells us that they were in the middle of a great feast. The Pharisees, who were kind of like the the religious elite, they're the Bible thumpers of the day, they pose a statement to Jesus. Some people at the party pose this statement. They essentially say, hey, our crew fasts all the time. We do what's expected of us, but your crew never does. 
In other words, they say to Jesus, hey, you and your ragtag team of followers are Bush League. If we're the New York Yankees, you're the T-ball team down at Holmes Lake. Jesus responds with an answer that they would have never expected. He says what we see in, in verse 34. Look at it with me. Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? In Jewish culture at the time, weddings were a week-long celebration filled with dancing and feasting. It was a massive party, and it would begin when the bridegroom had prepared a place for his wife and him to live. And he would go out into the community. He would invite all of his closest friends and followers to participate with him. To fast in the middle of a wedding celebration was unthinkable. A wedding celebration was a time reserved for celebration, for joy. Hear this. Friends, Jesus likens his coming to being like a wedding celebration. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. He's the one preparing the party. He's the one kicking things off. He's the ringleader of the festivities. He's the head of the celebration. We're going to show a picture here. This is a picture of myself the day I got married. And you can see, you can see there's, there's worse ones too, by the way. Like this is very tame. Um, but you can see by people's reactions in the background, like in this moment, I'm getting down. Like I am just dancing my face off. I think I confused a lot of people that day, actually. A lot of my Nebraska friends, um, a lot of my Nebraska friends think of me as like very laid back and chill, but that day like something unleashed in me. They just saw something completely different they, that they had never seen before. And the reason why is because nobody goes harder than the groom on the wedding day. Nobody goes harder. Like nobody's gonna outdo me. And you wanna know why? Because today's the day I get to claim my bride. Nobody is more excited than the bridegroom. And your joy grows. It multiplies as other people are invited to be partakers, to be celebrators of your joy. The Pharisees call out Jesus. They make a jab at him about fasting. But Jesus, he calls out the Pharisees' misdiagnosis of who he is and who his followers are. You see, Jesus is not primarily a religious teacher or a rabbi with a code of religious conduct for his followers to engage in. No, he's, he's the bridegroom who's come to claim his bride. They've misdiagnosed his followers. They aren't any longer the religious outcasts, the outsiders. Now they find themselves to be insiders they're the ones who've accepted the invitation to come join the feast with the bridegroom. Jesus says there's a time for fasting and there's a time for feasting. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, if you knew who I was, if you knew who I am, 
you'd be celebrating too. You would be feasting. Maybe you're here this morning and you've misdiagnosed Jesus. Maybe you've seen Jesus primarily as a religious teacher. You've seen him as a wise philosopher. Or you've seen him as a fairy tale. Jesus' words today to you are this. Think of me as the bridegroom. I didn't come to teach you religion or give good advice. I came to bring good news. Jesus' invitation today is to join him at the feast. All you have to do is recognize your need for Jesus and accept the invitation. Confess that you're not an innocent bystander. You're not one in the place to sit on the outside and like the Pharisees, take pot shots at who Jesus is and who his followers are. No, you need to confess that you're the guilty party. You're a sinner in need of forgiveness. You're a sinner in need of grace. The good news is that Jesus loved you so much that he left heaven to pursue you and to lay his life down for you. The invitation he extends to you today is to come to the bridegroom, to come to the feast. So would you lay aside your old misconceptions of who Jesus is? Would you lay aside the old misconceptions about a religious rule keeper keeping a book of all your rights and wrongs? And instead, would you engage, would you embrace the true Jesus, the real Jesus, the scandalously generous grace giver? Jesus, would you not wait? Would today you come to Jesus? Would you come to the bridegroom and join the feast? Let's move on to our next section of scripture, verses 36 through 38. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So the next thing we see in our passage is from religion to relationship. From religion to relationship. Jesus wants to do away with the old system of religion and bring in a new way of relating to God. Here in this section, Jesus gives two illustrations, two ways how his coming does away with the old and brings in the new. The first illustration describes two garments. Uh, Years ago, when I lived in Illinois, my friends and I were invited to a uh, lead worship at a mayor's prayer breakfast. And we worked really hard We prepared a great set of songs. We felt super confident going into the morning uh, that we were going to lead worship. It was going to be a great morning. But when we showed up that day, 6.30 a.m., 6 a.m., whatever it was, something became horribly clear. 
we were massively underdressed for the occasion. So I would describe our fashion style that morning as classy casual. Not too nice, but not too shabby either, okay? But when we showed up, like everyone was dressed to the max, suit, tie, you would have thought that the President of the United States was gonna be at this prayer breakfast. So we did what any uh, sane people would do. We panicked, and we immediately, immediately like sprint, I will always remember this, we sprint out the double doors to our cars, and we're just rummaging through our stuff. Like, is there something, anything we can wear to make ourselves look nicer? And my best friend, Derek, I think I remember this. He like pulled out this old belt from his uh, trunk and I put it on so that I could tuck in my shirt. If you can't tell, I hate tucking in my shirt. But I like tucked in my shirt with this old broken belt. My buddy wore a pair of shoes two sizes too small for him so that he didn't have to wear in the old sneakers that he had wore. Uh, my, my friend had, uh, in his jeans, had like a, a rip like right here, and it was like a fashionable rip, like meant to be their type of rip. So we're searching through our stuff, looking like, does anybody have a pair of jeans? Does anybody have anything? We didn't have anything except athletic shorts, so he just had to wear the holy jeans for the morning. But imagine for a second that in my car, I had had a brand new pair of dress pants that would have perfectly fit my friend. And imagine for a second that I tell him, I'm like, dude, hold on, wait up. I got this. Like, just wait right there. I have the perfect solution. And I run out to my car, and I grab the dress pants, and I take a pair of scissors, and I cut out the knee of the dress pants, and I run back inside, and I duct tape it to my friend's knee. Like, can you imagine the look on people's faces in that scenario? Not only does it look horrible, it also just doesn't work. The obvious answer to the problem would be to put away the old holy pair of jeans and to put on the new dress pants. Jesus is making a similar analogy here. We can't add a little bit of Jesus to our old way of life. We can't use Jesus as a patch to cover up areas of our lives and not allow him access to cover the rest of our lives. We can't create a Jesus that best suits our needs. We have to take him as he is, as Savior and Lord. You see, it's all or nothing. It's completely taking off the old garment and putting on the new one. When Jesus comes into our life, he demands the whole thing. The old way of life and the old self is traded out for the new in Jesus. And Jesus goes on to make another illustration along the same lines. He gives the example of two wineskins. And I have a picture of a wineskin for you on the screen. Wineskins were usually made of animal bladders. So they're leather pouches that store liquid. Because they're made of skin, wineskins are able to stretch. They're pliable. They're soft. And that's really important with wine because new wine, especially, it ferments 
it releases gases. So whatever you put new wine into has to be able to stretch, to expand with the gases that are uh, given off in the fermentation process. The problem with wineskins is that they can get old. They can become dry and cracked and crusty. Think of like an old baseball mitt or a nasty pair of boots. They may be able to hold old wine that's already fermented, but if you put new wine into old wineskins, the skins will expand, they'll crack, they'll burst, and they'll break. Not only will you lose the wineskin, but you'll also lose all of your wine in the process. So what point is Jesus trying to make in these two illustrations? Really simply, Jesus is demanding that with his arrival, with the coming of his kingdom, it's out with the old and in with the new. The Pharisees were convinced that the way to God was through rules, regulations, and religious works. They thought that by building up their religious resume, they could win God's favor and his acceptance. They held to a strict code of religious conduct that they thought would bring them close to God. But here's the irony in their situation. For all of their work to try to build their way up to God, they miss out on God coming down and standing in their midst. The ones who touted themselves as being in with God are the same ones that push away Jesus, God in the flesh. The Pharisees had a system of religion for God, but they didn't have a relationship with God. Here in Luke 5, Jesus is calling his followers, people who will be citizens of his kingdom, out of an old system of religious rule following and into a real relationship with him. The old system of thinking that we can do enough or obey well enough to earn God's love or favor is gone. Like an old garment, it has to be thrown away. Like an old wineskin, it can't hold the new wine, the new way of relating to God that Jesus is bringing. I'm convinced that within each one of us lives a little Pharisee. That somewhere buried deep in our hearts, there's a little Pharisee that screams out that we have to do more, that we have to obey better, that we should clean ourselves up to make ourselves noticeable or presentable to Jesus. That if I just do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be in with Jesus. The good news is that Jesus didn't come. He did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. While the little Pharisee inside us screams out, do more. Jesus hangs on the cross and cries out, it is finished. Our sin, our inability to live up to God's standard it's paid for in full by Jesus. Jesus has removed every barrier, every barrier that stands between us and God so that we can experience the joy of a real relationship 
with him. It's a relationship that can only be made possible by Jesus' death in our place on the cross. Jesus says if you want a relationship with God, it won't come by beefing up your spiritual resume and hoping God accepts you into the program. There's only one way to get it. It's through a new and living way. It's through me. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, would we silence our inner Pharisee and would we come to Jesus just as we are? Let's move on to the last verse of our passage to see our third point. Verse 39. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. We're going to see our third thing today, from familiar to faith. From familiar to faith. Now, if you read this verse with me, if you look at it again, no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. If you're like me, when you first hear this, when you first read it, you think, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, I, I thought you just got done saying that the old was bad, that we're supposed to step into the new. What do you mean the old is good? I'm going to give you the answer, and then I'm going to explain it. Here's the answer. Jesus knows that the Pharisees will reject his new way of relating to God. They'll say that the old wine is good, so there's no need for the new. Jesus has just explained that there's no way to mix the old religion of the Pharisees with the new way of relating to God that he's trying to bring in. But the problem is that the Pharisees have been drinking the old wine for so long that they've become drunk on it. They've become stupid. Jesus knows that the Pharisees will reject the new wine, claiming that the old is better, that the old is good. They say, no thanks, Jesus. We're good where we're at. I like the flavor of this wine. I like this way of life, and I'm going to stick to it. I don't need you. I don't need your new wine. Does anybody here have like a go-to item when you go through the drive-thru? It's like there could be a thousand new menu items that get introduced, but you're going to roll through that drive-thru and you're going to order the number three, no pickles or onions, add extra sauce, large fries, Diet Coke, light ice, every time. Imagine... Imagine for a second that a study was released that said that that item that you order every time was actually the leading cause of cancer. You would immediately stop ordering that item. You'd find something new. But imagine for a second that you had a friend, a good friend, who kept every time they went through ordering that same thing over and over and over. You would, you would plead for them to order something new. You would beg them to stop ordering the old thing. But imagine they kept ordering it and they gave you this reason. I like the flavor. 
I know there's new stuff, but I, I honestly don't really know if I'd like it that much. I feel best just sticking with what I know, where I'm at. I'm just going to keep ordering this. You would be shocked at their response. But friends, we do the same thing all the time. How many of us are clinging to the old and refusing to step into what's new? How many of us know what Jesus is calling us into? That it's better, that ultimately the old way of life leads to death, but we still refuse to put away the old in our lives. Too often, we refuse to step out of the old because the old is comfortable. We gravitate towards what we know, what we can control. We choose familiarity over faith. The relationship that Jesus calls us into isn't safe. It won't cater to our comfort, and he won't allow us to systematize it or control it. A relationship is hard because a relationship requires listening. It requires obedience in, from moment to moment. It requires leaning in. It requires faith. Faith is trusting Jesus when we can't see beyond the next step. Religion tells us that we can earn something from God, but a relationship forces us to surrender everything to God. Religion says, God, I've paid you this much, now you owe me my reward. But a relationship says, God, you've paid everything, and you are my reward. So friends, this morning, to close, as we wrap up this passage, would we leave today stepping out of our misdiagnosed conceptions of who Jesus is, and would we step into the wedding feast with the bridegroom? Would we silence our inner Pharisee and lean into a real, vibrant relationship with the God of the universe who loved us and laid his life down for us? And would we leave behind what's comfortable and familiar, and would we step into the wide open spaces of a vibrant, risk-filled faith? Would we put away what's old and step into what's new? Let's pray together. Jesus, we this morning look to you and we plead with you to help us, to give us strength. We know that this isn't done uh, on the power of our, our own selves, but only by your Spirit's power can we step out of what's old and into what's new. So we plead, Jesus, would your Spirit guide us, empower us to have the strength, the spiritual strength to step out of the old and into the new. Lord, we want to put our misdiagnosed conceptions of who you are behind us. We don't want to see you primarily as a religious teacher or a, a religious bookkeeper keeping tabs on, on how we're doing today or this week. No, Jesus, we want to know you as the bridegroom, as a scandalously generous grace giver that you are. 
Lord, we, we don't want to live in a system of religion, but we want to lean into a relationship with you. Would you empower us, Lord, to lean in today, to trust you more, to listen to you moment by moment, to obey from moment to moment, even when we can't see past the next step. And Lord, we lift up to you and we ask that you would help us to choose faith over familiarity, faith over what's comfortable. Jesus, we want to step into what you want for us. So Lord, we lift this up to you. We ask and plead with you for your spirit to empower us to move forward into what's new today. Amen.